This week on Worldview, as the Modi government marks nine years in power, here's what the external affairs minister said. Uh, among the ma many areas where there's been a significant transformation, foreign policy would surely be among them. So up ahead, we're going to take a closer look at just what has changed, where the government's most salient successes are, and where it has been seen to fail. In fact, this week, External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar addressed the media with a much greater expansion on what he saw as the key achievements of the Modi government's foreign policy since 2014. Now, remember, in India, foreign policy has traditionally been a continuum, not something ascribed just to one government or to another. So just the fact that the External Affairs Minister actually put out these pointers to credit for these changes is significant on its own. However, it should also be remembered that Mr. Jay Shankar was himself formerly Foreign Secretary from 2015 to 2018. He's been Minister from 2019 till date. So except for a period of under two years in total, he has really been at the helm of Indian foreign policy for the past nine years. And thus is speaking from that point of view of experience. Now in his comments, and we're going to take a look at each of the things he said, the External Affairs Minister said that the change that he saw has been reflected in the country's higher standing abroad, greater influence in the world, bigger footprint, new concepts delivered, as well as strong delivery of projects. So here's how he broke up the two achievements that he believes uh, the Modi government has really put its mark on when it comes to foreign policy. One, how the world now sees India, and two, how the average Indian citizen sees Indian foreign policy. So let's start with the first part on how the world sees India, where he said the first thing that the world really sees about India is now a kind of decisiveness in action, a stronger delivery on all initiatives. He said more than 600 projects across 78 nations are in progress or have been completed on infrastructure, power, energy supply, and other projects identified by India's development partners. That's one part of it. The second is trusted partnerships that India is making an economic impact in the world is a resilient supply chain element. And this is, of course, very important for some of the larger economies of the world. Then he spoke about India's role as a global contributor, which you have to break up a bit. One, contributing things like vaccines, medicines, also being the first responder in a humanitarian crisis, like at the Turkey earthquake. The second, to having set up the International Solar Alliance, a coalition for disaster resilient infrastructure, and third, in particular, for stabilizing economies in the world, like Sri Lanka, listen in. And you all saw what happened to Sri Lanka last year uh, and this year, uh, that at a time when much of the world sat on its hands, we actually stepped forward at a very, very crucial time to stabilize the Sri Lankan economy. And today, if it is on the mend, uh, I think a large part of it is due to the fact that we responded in a timely manner. He also said, fourth, that India is now in global formations it hasn't been before. The Quad, the I2U2, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that India joined in 2017, uh, the FIPIC platform with the Pacific Islands, the Nordic Forum, technology control regimes as well. The fifth, he said, India is now a narrative shaper. In fact, he gave the example of the Raisina Dialogue that the MEA began in 2016 and said the fact that so many want to attend shows that India is now shaping a lot of the narrative in the world. In particular, he spoke about climate change, he spoke about uh, the terrorism debate, terror financing in particular, 
and India's hosting of the NMFT, the No Money for Terror, uh, as well as the Indo-Pacific as an architecture. Uh, he also said that India is putting its imprint when it comes to culture around the world. Next, he said, India is being seen as an independent force. Now, this is very interesting because in a sense, this really denotes the continuity from the past, that India still remains independent, not taking sides. Uh, in particular, he mentioned the Ukraine war. He also mentioned the Quad, uh, the fact that now the Quad, despite pressures from countries like China and Russia, is still going ahead. Uh, voice of the Global South, uh, also he mentioned India's stand on the line of actual control, taking on the Chinese PLA, as well as taking a strong international stand against China's Belt and Road Initiative. You know, we are the first G20 uh, president who have actually made an effort to uh, to consult other people and 125 countries responded because they believed we are an independent voice. So that's a comprehensive look at where he said India's image in the world has really changed, how India is seen by the rest of the world. So how has Indian foreign policy affected the life of the common or average citizen, according to Mr. Jay Shankar? One, he spoke about how India has been bringing back Indians practically on an annual basis during COVID and conflict from Afghanistan to Sudan, all these missions that have been held in uh, the middle of conflict. And really, uh, it, it is not the first time. Certainly, we've seen this kind of evacuation operations. And we spoke about it in a previous uh, edition of Worldview as well. Um, but there has been a significant uptick in such operations, given what's happening in the world. The second, he said, more security for citizens, given the land boundary agreement with uh, Bangladesh. He also spoke about India's actions against China, uh, countering China uh, at the LAC. And he said that India has now delegitimized terrorism from Pakistan. So it has, it has been able to push back on that. The third thing he said is that the average citizen feels India's economic strength, from exports to foreign direct investment to tech collaborations, to also prices and the softening of oil and fertilizer prices. Today in softening oil prices, because had our diplomacy not done its work, I think it would have had an impact on the uh, petrol pump. For the fourth thing, he said that Indian Indians are feeling the uh, impact of, of foreign policy, of diplomatic policy in the regions. For example, the Northeast, seeing investments from Japan, the European Union, working with Bangladesh, looking for connectivity to Myanmar, uh, similarly, ferries with Sri Lanka or ferries with the Maldives are making that difference, uh, as well as on other frontiers. The fifth, he said, were mobility agreements that are helping workers and professionals that travel abroad to ensure their welfare. Uh, the sixth point he made was really about passports. And of course, every government prides itself on being able to hand out passports. Uh, in 2014, he said there were 77 passport seva kendras. Uh, and that India has since then, since uh, 2014, added another 16. That may not be as big a figure, but his point was that now the government has opened it out to post offices as well. So there are 430 uh, passport seva kendras inside post offices in India. So that's a huge leap. Uh, and then from 9 million or so passports issued in 2014, now the number is about 14 million, he said. Finally, he's talking about the fact that for the common citizen, uh, when they travel abroad, they see that Indian culture has been globalized, so that Indians are 
uh, able to travel and because of things like the International Day of Yoga, the uh, widespread uh, you know, conversation about Ayurveda, uh, Mr. Jay Shankar said that Indian citizens, when they go abroad, find it easier to be understood. Those were his words. Uh, so certainly a very comprehensive list coming from the External Affairs Minister, no less. And of course, every part of the government has been marking the nine years of the Modi government one year before the elections uh, to talk about just where they think they have had their biggest successes. And obviously, uh, this is, is not an area where they are going to put out where their, their, their failures or places where they've not had such great success have been. So we will do it for you here on Worldview. And we really hope you write in to tell us where you think the government's biggest successes and biggest failures have been. But here is, is, is really our list over here of areas where the government has either been ineffectual or its unique policies that uh, Mr. Jayashankar talked about have had mixed or no results. Uh, one, that India has joined many new formations, but it really has failed to ensure the continuity of old ones like the South Asian Association for Regional Cooperation, or SARC, uh, which is meant for South Asia. Uh, the last summit for that took place in 2014 and none since then because India has refused to attend those in Pakistan. Uh, since then, organizations like BIMSTEC and BBIN have been energized, but these do not encompass the whole region. India has also virtually ended its association with 120 plus nations of the non-aligned meet or NAN. Prime Minister Modi has not attended any of these uh, in person. Uh, although the Modi government's outreach to the global south can be seen as addressing similar concerns in similar countries as our members of the NAM. Second, while the government has drifted from non-alignment to multi-alignment in its own words, it has not yet brought clarity uh, to where it stands in an increasingly polarized world. So if the world is polarized at the moment between the US and Europe on one side and Russia and China on the other, um, it is difficult to tell which way India is going. Uh, there's a thin line, remember, between a please all policy being all aligned, as I've spoken about in the past, and one that actually pleases no one in the long run, uh, especially if it moves from realism to real politic, which sounds very sensible, to transactionalism without principle, which does not. Uh, the third area is definitely China. Mr. Jay Shankar took a lot of questions on China uh, during the press conference, but the Chinese challenge is not just bilateral or at the boundary. It is in India's neighborhood. Apart from Bhutan, remember, every Indian neighbor is a part of the Belt and Road Initiative today. Certainly has more Chinese investment and trade and travel than ever before. Even Bhutan has been engaging with Beijing in an unprecedented manner uh, when it comes to the boundary settlement, something it had not done in the past. Meanwhile, the lack of resolution or headway with China has meant that two key objectives of the Modi government, the membership of the, Na of the Nuclear Suppliers Group uh, and the reform of the UN Security Council have both hit roadblocks in the form of China. Ties with China have also tested the limits of Prime Minister Modi's personalized summit-level diplomacy, as despite 18 one-on-one -on -one meetings with Chinese President Xi Jinping, India had been unable to anticipate the LAC incursions, the Galwan incident, and all that has followed, even if it has now put up a robust uh, riposte to that. The fourth area where they haven't been seen as doing so well is while the government has, been, has done commendably well, actually, in its efforts to bring Indians stuck abroad back. 
the case of former naval commander Kulbushan Jadav, who is in Pakistan, has been convicted for uh, espionage, for example, needs delicate diplomacy. Uh, no international judgments. Remember, India did go to the ICAJ, but no international judgments can really be enforced unless there is diplomatic cooperation with the country. And hence, the government has not been able to see any success in that case. Similar uh, uh, lack of uh, progress in cases with the eight former naval officers in Qatar or bringing back wanted fugitives from the UK and other places or even children who have been taken into custody uh, by child protection groups. All of those stand out as failures for the same reason. The fifth point, the Neighborhood First initiatives. This is something the government has spoken about often. Uh, the projects that they've put out in the neighborhood, the connectivity that they are uh, making in the neighborhood is all very, very welcome. However, at the same time, its own policies, the Modi government's perceived muscularity, domestic policies, have created new problems uh, with the same neighbors. Remember the Citizenship Amendment Act, for example, that the government passed angered not just Pakistan, but Afghanistan and Bangladesh as well. It hasn't yet been implemented. The Kashmir 370 uh, amendments upset ties with Pakistan, of course, but equally angered Nepal over the map that came out. China objected as well. Uh, similarly, the push for Akhan Bharat terminology, uh, remember a mural that went up in the new parliament, which one of the ministers said was part of India's resolve to look at its old uh, map of undivided India, uh, has received pushback from neighbors like Bangladesh, Nepal and Pakistan. Um, then muscular positions on internal matters in other countries, uh, democracy in Maldives and Sri Lanka, have at various times received a pushback from the neighbors as well. So it's not all smooth sailing uh, for India in the neighborhood. Finally, the Modi government's unique push for diaspora diplomacy. This is a real um, uh, sort of unique selling point, if you like, for the government's uh, foreign travel, mega events around the world. It has now begun to prove a bit of a double-edged sword, as increasingly India's domestic politics has spilled over into the diaspora, uh, the rise of Incidents uh, like the Khalistan uh, group's protests, for example, or anti-government protests over the Citizenship Amendment Act that we saw in New York, in London, other places, or human rights violations in India, uh, or even caste issues, seem to be coming to the fore in these countries in a way they have not before. Eventually, of course, as the profile of Indian origin leaders grows abroad, there will be a plethora of political views and even some possible interference from there. Uh, so a lot has changed in uh, the last nine years, certainly in terms of the terminology, certainly in terms of the way Indian foreign policy is now expressed. Uh, but before we end this episode of uh, Worldview, I want to show you something quite surprising, which would make the comparison from where India started out and where India is now very, very interesting. Listen in. People talk vaguely and rather wildly of new wars to come. At such a moment, this new India is taking birth, renascent, vital, fearless. So that was a speech from December 1946 at the Constituent Assembly in Delhi, uh, Pandit Nehru speaking over there. But in September 1946, just a couple of months before, and I'm sorry that there's no video uh, or audio of that, he actually gave a speech on All India Radio. Uh, and you can see reports in the New York Times from that time, as well as in uh, papers. Then Prime Minister Nehru actually spoke about what 
independent India's foreign policy would be made up of. So first he said there would be non-alignment with power groups. It wasn't yet a movement. Uh, that India would keep away from power politics or groups aligned against one another. That India won't accept discrimination against its people anywhere. Uh, one world concept, he didn't say Vasudeva Kutumbakam straight away, but uh, he spoke about the free cooperation of free people and called it a one world concept. A geographic connectivity with all India's Asian neighbors. And remember, this was pre-1947, so he was still speaking uh, about the realities of that day. Uh, and the fifth thing he said was Soviet Union as a neighbor, the US uh, as a major world power, and China as a neighbor and a friend through the ages, uh, which was in conflict at the time, remember, were all countries that India would have to engage with. Certainly seems very interesting, and it brings us to Worldview's take on this, because despite tumultuous periods of change, some tenets of Indian foreign policy have not changed as much um, as we think. Non-alignment may have moved to multipolarity, and India's engagement with the three big powers, US, Russia, and China, prioritizes them very differently today. But India's position as a believer in one world, with fully representative global institutions, a deep interest in connectivity with neighbors, and one where Indians everywhere face no discrimination, has definitely endured as foreign policy tenets for the country. So let's get you some reading recommendations for Worldview, and I have a ton, so I'm going to get through them a little quickly. The first are the primers. Uh, if you haven't read them already, Indian Foreign Policy by Sumit Ganguly. It has been updated, I think, as much as uh, 20, uh, 2019. Uh, a second one, Journey of a Nation, 75 Years of Indian Foreign Policy by Madhav Das Nalapat, MD Nalapat. Uh, How India Sees the World, Cautilia to the 21st Century. I've spoken about this before by former Foreign Secretary Sham Saran. The India Way by Mr. Jay Shankar itself, himself, Strategies for an Uncertain World, where he really details his view uh, of Indian uh, foreign policy. From Chanakya to Modi, The Evolution of India's Foreign Policy by Aparna Pandey. I think I've spoken about this book before. A very critical look at uh, the Modi government's foreign policy is in Staggering Forward, Narendra Modi and India's Global Ambition by Bharat Karnat. Then there are two books by Shashi Tharoor, very worth reading. The first, The New World Disorder and the Indian Imperative by Shashi Tharoor and uh, Samir Saran. As well as, of course, the older book, Pax Indica, uh, definitely worth reading. Then some books on history, particularly as I brought in that Nehru reference. One is called The Peacemakers, India and the Quest for One World by Manu Bhagavan. He actually uh, writes about how pre-independence India looked at what its foreign policy was going to be, how the formulation began. Uh, another one is called Letters for a Nation from Jawaharlal Nehru to his chief ministers. These letters have been edited by Madhav Khosla. Read the ones about India, particularly as he travels uh, abroad to different countries and, and talks about how India is perceived in the world. Uh, another book called India's World, How Prime Ministers Shaped Foreign Policy by Rajiv Dogra. Uh, and then some more theoretical books called Theorizing Indian Foreign Policy. It is, as it says, it's a hardcover book by Hansel. It has essays by both Indian and international scholars. And then there is a book. Uh, called India and the Contemporary International System. Again, it's a fairly scholarly academic work edited by Amitabh Mattu and Happy Mon Jacob, both professors. Uh, chapter on the foreign policy making, 
uh, of India has been written by me, yours truly, and there's a chapter by my colleague Vergis George on the role of domestic politics in foreign policy. That's all we have time for here on Worldview. We do hope you enjoy reading all of those books. Do like this video and subscribe to the Hindu's YouTube channel if you do. Uh, and join us again on Worldview. We are taking a short break next week, but we'll be back shortly after. From the team here, thanks for watching.